And there are some spectacular monuments and buildings throughout the world that took years for people to create them. And when they created them, there were all kind of challenges that came with it. The Roman Colosseum was built around 70 AD. It took about 10 years for them to build this, this piece of art that back then, some, some, some say you could hold almost 80,000 people in this arena. And it was, it was made for uh, victory parades after war and came to be places where gladiator games were, were played. But there were probably plenty of people that when they started making this, creating it, they were like, there's no way you're going to be able to do it. You also have in Athens where there's the Parthenon, not to be confused with the Pantheon that's in uh, Rome, but there's the Parthenon, which was created as a temple for the goddess Athena. This took 17 years for them to create this. And this is, a, right on, this is on Mars Hill in Acts 17 when Paul goes and preaches to where, where Paul addresses all these unknown gods in the city of Athens. This is around where Paul preaches that message. If you go to this next image, you also have other spectacular places like the tower, uh, the leaning tower of um, Pisa in Italy. And this was developed around the 17th century, and it was a mistake. They didn't mean for this to lean. And it took 199 years for them to create this, which makes you think at some point, like, didn't someone say, is it just me or is this tower a little off? Like, <laughs> I mean, some of you, I know Kip is like this and Mark Taylor. Like if they walk in a room and there's a picture frame that's off, it's like, I've got to fix that. Like at, at what point were people like, we're just committed for this to be a leaning tower? 199 years for them to create this. It's five degrees off, about 300 steps. It's, it's, it's been around hundreds of years. You also have the Taj Mahal, which is in India. It took about 20 years for them to create this. It was the emperor at the time, and he created this for the woman, of, the woman he loved, which makes me think I'm glad all of our spouses, when we give them roses or some kind of gift, they don't respond with, well, this isn't the Taj Mahal, but thank you for whatever gift you gave us. They say, they estimate that in today's money, this, this costs about a billion dollars for them to make. And the emperor didn't just create this for the woman he loved. It's the woman he loved who died. It's his wife who died in the, giving birth to her 14th child. And he built this to be where she could be buried in, in years. It took over 20,000 people to build this. Here just about 100 years ago, around 1927, they started making the Mount, the Mount Rushmore right here in the United States. It took almost 15 years for them to make this. And you've seen pictures, and those of you who have been there and you've seen this live, it's, it's this brilliant piece of art. And last but not least, you have the Great Wall of China that took nearly 2,000 years for them to complete this project. Now, it was completed in stages, but over 4,000 miles, about 2,000 years, there have been times when up to a million soldiers were manning this, this wall as, that served as a defense from northern China. And, and I could go on and on with different museums and, or, and, and statues and monuments that are just spectacular. They're mind-blowing. The architecture that was behind it, each one of these had a builder and a plan and a blueprint and a strategy. And I'm sure they also faced plenty of challenges as weather probably changed their plans. And as they started creating and they had to adapt and pivot, it took years. And around 2,000 years ago, Jesus died. 
And Jesus rose from the dead. And on the day of Pentecost, Jesus launched the church. And the church was launched to be this force in the, in the world, this movement in the world. And now 2,000 years later, the church has never been something that God has completed who the church is. Like God has mounted a picture of this is the church. God, 2,000 years later, is still in the process of creating and building this thing that we're a part of called the church. This is not a finished product. We're a part of it. And there have been seasons when the, for the church there's been wear and tear and poor leadership and times when the church has gotten it wrong and then many, many times when the church has gotten it right and people have lived into the will of God and the, the calling of God for the church. And over 2,000 years, there's some things that haven't changed. The foundation of the church has never changed. The principles of the church have never changed. The values of the church haven't changed. The mission of the church hasn't changed. So this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I uh, just want to highlight a couple of things. We're on an, uh, the next eight months, or starting in September for eight months, we're highlighting one of our eight core values every month. We have a core value team, and I want to thank David Griffiths and the core value team for our Connect core value, which is that we are passionate about connecting people to God. We want those who are disconnected from God, from faith, from the church to be connected. There's always room for one more person. And I'm thankful for the challenges that we're placing in front of this church in the month of October. Uh, and praise God for all God did in that. I'm thankful for November that Jenna King, who was our co-youth minister here for about five years, who now works at Harding Academy with her husband Seth, that Jenna is leading our, our effort as we focus on the core value in the month of November about restoration, that we are a restoration movement. I want to highlight just a few things coming up this week. Today begins a prayer journey through the month of November where the core value team has put together a prayer calendar. You can download this. You can print it uh, off our website. We have some hard copies here if you want them. Every day there's a calendar, a one-page calendar. Every day has a question or a statement, a prayer prompt, a verse that we can pray to guide us through this month. I do want to invite you this Friday, Agape Heartlight. This is something that we, uh, Agape does every year. It's going to be a little different. It's going to be a virtual experience, but John Perkins is going to be speaking. Kurt Franklin, Drew and Ellie Holcomb, uh, Cece uh, Wyans, uh, Wyans. We are so grateful for all the people coming Friday night, and we invite you to play a part in that. Next Sunday, and I'm super excited about this, we are launching our Red Tubs and our Agape Christmas uh, boxes. This is an initiative we've done now for a few years. And some of you choose to do this individually. Some of you as a family unit. Some of you do this as life groups. But the red tubs and, and agape Christmas boxes, which aren't the same thing, but they bo both bless a lot of children who are in need of gifts this year. And I know this is a challenging year, but next Sunday you're, you're able to begin picking up red tubs and Christmas boxes here. If you're in person, if you're online, there'll be times throughout the week where you'll be able to come by the church uh, and pick those up. We invite you to participate and would love to see us take on as many red tubs and as many boxes as we ever have before. I'm super grateful for Debbie Debris and for Callie Lillard for the way they spearhead and lead both of these efforts. And even those of you who are online, and it's hard, and some of you don't need to get out right now, you can still participate because I know many of you are on Amazon a lot. And Amazon knows you're on Amazon. So you can participate and help us purchase gifts that will bless a lot of people in our community. Throughout the month of November, we have five Sundays. 
And there's going to be a prayer that the Restoration Core Value Team has written for us. And we're going to pray this in different ways each Sunday. But each Sunday, this prayer is going to come before our church to guide us together. So I invite you this morning to both listen to this prayer and to maybe even open your eyes and look at the screen as I pray and as you receive and as our hearts connect with God. So let's pray together this morning. Holy Father God, our world is broken Our communities are broken. Our relationships are broken. We proclaim God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to be the hope of restoration. Restore the world. Restore our community. Restore our relationships. Restore hope in the hopeless. Light in the darkness. Justice to the oppressed. Restore your church. Make us your hands, your feet, your ears, and your mouthpieces. In your holy mission of restoration. In the name of Jesus we pray. And the whole church agrees. Amen. As you're opening your Bibles of 1 Peter 2, I know this is a big week. And many of us have prayed as we come into this week. We've been in conversations probably for weeks or months. Some of you may have been trying to stay away from conversations for weeks and months. And I just want to remind us this morning. The church is always at our best when we cling and we press into the things of God with everything we have and pay just enough attention to the world to know how to navigate kingdom life. And the church is often at our worst when we cling and press into political ideologies and pay just enough attention to God to make us feel righteous. We're at our best when we cling and press into God with everything we have and pay just enough attention to the world to know how to navigate life in this world. And we're often at our worst when we cling and we press into political ideologies and pay just enough attention to God to make us feel righteous. Maybe a better way to say it is the call of God on your life is not to wake up in the morning and spend time, three to five minutes doing some Bible devotional and then spend four to five hours soaking in the media. That's not what God wants of us. So as we navigate this week, let's remember we're kingdom people above all else. No matter what happens on Tuesday, we're kingdom people committed to the cause of Christ. There is a mission for the church no matter what. And I want to remind us, no matter what happens on Tuesday or no matter what ends up happening with COVID the rest of this year or next year, neither COVID nor a political season, that God's not on the line, the church is not on the line, But our kingdom Christian witness is on the line every single day. So let's represent Christ well in our lives, especially as we navigate this week. COVID and political season don't change the fact that we get to connect to God and to the church. It doesn't change how we get to love neighbors. It doesn't change how we get to worship or how we get to engage in the power of restoration. So let me, before I get to chapter 2 of 1 Peter, I just want to lay two verses that have become two of my favorite verses in 1 Peter in front of you for hope and inspiration. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert, alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And there are times when I have to, when I pray and acknowledge, God, help me to set my hope on you. I have to pray about what are those things that I set my hope on that I don't need to set my hope on. I have to name those out loud to God. God, I don't need to trust in these things. I want to set my hope 
in Jesus. In 1 Peter 1.21, Peter says this, Through him, through Jesus, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are set on God. It's not just in God, they are set on God. Now in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, Peter is writing to individuals that you have come to God and there is responsibility for you as individuals. And here's how Peter says it. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. I mean, it's Peter's way of saying there are things in your life that are keeping your heart from connecting to God and acknowledge these things before God. And then in verse 2, he says this, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tested that the Lord is good. And then in verse 4, Peter's going to shift a little bit. And now it's not just him speaking to individuals. It's Peter who is giving a challenge, a charge, an inspiring word to the church, to the body. This is to y'all, all the yous in verse 4 and 5, or I don't know where you grew up in the U.S. or the world, but this is y'all or yous guys or however you say it, the plural form of that. And here's, here's how Peter says it. As you come to him, as y'all come to him, the living stone, this is Jesus, the living stone. Jesus is the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, rejected by people, but chosen by God and precious to him, precious to God. You also like living stones. So Jesus is the living stone. We are like living stones. Are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 4, some of your Bibles, beginning in verse 4, it's stated like a command. Like, come to Jesus. Like, come to him. And it's not a command in the Greek. It's a process. It's an invitation. It's an invitation into a process. It's as you come to him. As more and more of you comes to Jesus. As more and more people come to Jesus. Like this process of moving to God. This sounds very similar to what Peter would have heard Jesus say. In Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. When Jesus says, come to me. Like as you come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burden and I'll give you rest. And here in chapter 2, verse 4, 1 Peter, this is an invitation. This is an invitation into a process as you come to Jesus, the living stone, as you come to him. And then Peter's going to use building language to talk about the church. Now, my, my son Noah, uh, one of the best Lego guys I've ever seen. I know people in this church, I know there's Darren Ruddy and there's some other folks who, who love doing Legos. And when you get a box of Legos and know you open up that box of Legos, those Legos don't come together all by themselves, right? They have to have a builder. You have to use the directions, right? You can't just, you can't just do it. You can't just open it and then try to use your imagination. I guess you could, but it's not going to be the completed, like what it's supposed to do, right? So anytime we're building something, you need a foundation, you need a strategy, you need a blueprint, you need a plan, you need a builder. So when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to Peter talking about the church, the foundation is set. So when you come to God, When you surrender your life to Jesus and confess Jesus as Lord, when you're baptized into Christ, it's not like God takes you to a local Home Depot or a Lowe's so you can pick out how you want your house to be built. There has to be a process and a plan, and God is the builder. We're not the builders. God is the builder. So it's not that we get to start building the porch and then from the porch decide what needs to come next. God, God's the builder. The foundation's set. The foundation is not doctrine. The foundation isn't an idea. 
The foundation isn't based on a preacher or a minister or a clergy or a church leader. The foundation is Jesus. The foundation, this, it's Jesus. That is what the church is built on. And notice the language Peter uses, this one phrase. That you all, y'all, are being built into a spiritual house. Not houses, a house. So it's not that you're a house, a spiritual house, in a neighborhood with a lot of other spiritual houses. That's not how it works. It's that you all, the people of God, the children of God, we are all being built into a house. Which means you don't get to decide who you want to be built next to. It's not how the kingdom of God works. We're all being built by God. Which I love this, that the church isn't a finished product, that God hasn't crafted the church, created the church, painted who the church needs to be, and then has like, put it up on a wall somewhere. God is still in the process of building God's church all over the world. 2,000 years later, God is still doing this. Now, the Bible uses a lot of different metaphors to talk about the church. One of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey. He wrote a book about 20 years ago. It's called Church, Why Bother? It's a small little book, about 80 pages, three chapters. And Philip Yancey is a guy who struggled sometimes with connecting to both faith and connecting to the church. So this was a book he wrote as an argument of why people need to stay connected to the church even when it's hard. And there's one chapter in the book where Philip Yancey says, if Jesus were alive in the 20th century, he wrote this just over 20 years ago, here, maybe here are some of the metaphors Jesus would use to describe the church now. And he goes on to talk about how the church is God's, the church is God's 12-step program, where it is a place that should model confession and honesty better than anyone else. When I was in college, one of our assignments in grad school and one class we had is we had to, to attend an Alcoholics Anonymous, an AA a group, just to see how it was modeled, how confession and honesty was modeled because the church should be the one that models confession and honesty better than anyone. And now for about 10 years, we've had to celebrate recovery that meets here at Sycamore View on Tuesday nights. And I've attended multiple times and I've seen them model confession and honesty. And one thing about an, going to an AA program or being a part of an AA program or a 12-step drug program or celebrate recovery is when there is a confession, you don't hear other people in the room who cast judgment or who begin to moan and groan in a way if they couldn't believe that somebody said what they just said. No matter what confession, no matter what honest expression is made, those people are embracing that circle. It's a place of healing. It's a place of confession and honesty. Philip Yancey talks about how the church is like God's DMV, which most of us can't stand when we have to go to a place to get a driver's license or our, our car registration renewed. And, and Philip Yancey was writing at a time when there wasn't an online option to do some of that. But when you go to get a driver's license or something renewed, you don't know how long you're going to be there, right? And he argues that this is a place, this melting pot of relationships and experiences. And this is who the church should be. A melting pot of personalities an eclectic group of people who come from all different walks of life to figure out what it means to live a life with God. 
Philip Yancey talks about how the church is like God's emergency center, like a 24-hour medical clinic where whatever your pain in life may be, physical pain, mental pain, whatever it is, the church should be a place where you can come asking for help and for healing and to know that there will be people who will surround you to offer the help you need. And for this to happen, the church has to be a place where people feel like they can trust the church to share their pain. And people have to be open and honest about their pain that the church is a place where we can be real with the stuff going on inside of us. The New Testament sometimes talks about the church as the body of Christ. That we're made up of a lot of different parts, but we're a part of the same body. There are times in the New Testament it talks about the church as a family of God where everyone is welcome. And for Peter, there are times as you read 1 Peter that it sounds like there are all these conflicting metaphors. He's just tossing all these metaphors out, maybe in a way just to see if one of them sticks, but maybe in a way that Peter thinks so much of the church. It's just so hard to describe all that the church has been called by God to be. A holy priesthood, God's holy people, a family of God. And here in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, the church is being built by God into a spiritual house. And I've seen this now in this church. And it's been harder in 2020 to like see this happening, but there's not a hallway in this church or not a, a pew in this room that I'm standing in right now where I have not seen people praying over others, praying over marriages, over relationships, praying for hearts to be right, praying over physical pain, praying over anxiety. I've seen this church time and time again step up whenever there's a need in front of them to step up and to serve and to embrace service projects. I've seen this church time and time again surround other people with love, rise above challenges that exist in our culture and come together to be the people of God. And as we embrace and enter into this next week, no matter what happens on Tuesday, no matter what happens, the church is not a finished product. We are being built by God into a spiritual house. And each and every single one of us are invited to be a part of it. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads? Let's pray. For God, all the voices in our lives right now vying for attention and allegiance, we pray that the name of Jesus will rise above them all. God, I thank you for being a great builder, what you have done with the world and with the cosmos. I thank you, God, for how you create and how you enter into what you have created. And as you're building your church, I pray, God, that we will be faithful instruments, faithful parts, that we will come along to let you build us into what it is you want of the church today. And this week, God, with everything going on in our hearts and in our minds, may we rise above all the chaos to represent, and to represent Jesus, to be faithful witnesses of what it is you want of us uh, this week. We ask for your kingdom to come right here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.